This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. It was a political night, and uh, the State of the Union address last night, and it went about, well, actually it went a little bit different than I expected. I, I did not watch it. I watched a little bit towards the end. Um, I just, I, I can't, you, you see so much of it on the news and the, the childish behavior and all this other stuff, and I just, I, I couldn't bring myself to watch it, so... Um, but I watched the highlights on the news and on the morning shows this morning. And I think the one surprise to me, uh, was Joe Biden was a little feisty. Um, you know, and a lot of people say, well, this is kind of his kickoff for his, you know, running again in, uh, uh, 2024. And, uh, he went after the Republicans a little bit last night and the Republicans, uh, did their usual booing. And, you know, you have people like Marjorie Taylor Greene yelling liar out from the crowd, which is really classy. You know, I mean, it, the decorum is just completely gone. Um, I mean, but Biden really called him out last night on the whole Social Security, uh, Medicare thing and said, hey, you know, uh, some of you are, are saying that you want it to go away. And, and you know, people are like, boo. But, I mean, it's been very, there have been very public comments about, you know, some of the people talking about, you know, wanting it to, uh, to quote unquote sunset and, you know, so that the uh, younger generation won't won't have that. They'll have, you know, trying to work out some other idea of personal savings accounts or whatever, you know, whatever. Um, but he kind of packed them into a corner last night. And uh, so that was good to see. But, you know, I look, it just is typical stuff. The, the one highlight to me that I saw from the uh, the thing was uh, Mitt, Mitt Romney uh, going after uh, – the uh, habitual liar, George Santos from New York. And you could read his lips, and basically he said to Santos, you should be ashamed of yourself. Yeah, I'm good for him. Uh, whether you like Mitt Romney or not, but I always kind of like Mitt Romney. You know, I don't necessarily like all his policies, but I always felt like he of the Republicans, you know, he was kind of the one of the old fashioned Republicans, a guy kind of like uh, uh, the name escapes me. But, you know, oh, John McCain, kind of like John McCain, a guy that, you know, he has certain views, but he's also willing to work across the aisle and he's willing to be civil, you know, and not uh, not be an idiot. You know, and uh, to have him call out Santos like that was beautiful. Um, and then afterwards, the, one of the reporters asked him, "What did you What did you say to him?" And he says, "I don't remember." But he said, "But he's a sick puppy." <laughs> so I like that. That was great to see. Uh, but you know, the rest of it, it was just typical political BS. You know, and at the end of the day. I don't think anybody's minds are going to get changed. I did think it was interesting. We were watching Kevin McCarthy last night, the Speaker of the House, when uh, his you know Republican caucus started acting up. He's sitting behind Joe Biden 
almost like a, like a librarian and, and trying to shush them when, you know, they started acting like idiots. And look, I guess he had the right idea. One of the things that he supposedly said to them before the State of the Union address was, look, uh, the cameras are on. The hot mics are on. People are going to see and hear all of this. And if we are going to have a chance at the White House in 2024, we need to act better. And he's right. You know, not that I think that there's a Republican out there that that I want as my president. And, you know, this is a guy that, you know, you're talking to a guy that was a, a registered Republican up until Donald Trump became president. And then I said that was enough of that and left the Republican Party, became an independent and uh, but I always was one of those that, hey, look, um, I'm going to vote for who I think is best qualified. You know, and, and there, you know, uh, right now, I don't see a, a Republican out there that I say is mature enough. And that's that's to me, you know, the problem here is that the, the most of these Republicans are acting like, well, they followed the Donald Trump model. They're acting like junior high school students which is just crazy. Um, I saw part of the uh, rebuttal speech by uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders and basically saying that the Biden administration has failed you. Look, hang on a second. Joe Biden and his administration have been in office for exactly two years. They inherited a mess from Donald Trump, and, and yet somehow Donald Trump is not responsible at all for the mess that this country is in. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. The things that Donald Trump and his party did, you know, it takes time to recover from that. And look, I'm not a, don't get me wrong, I am not a Joe Biden lover at all. But, you know, the problem is, is that the average American doesn't think about this. I mean, these are just common sense things. Joe Biden and his administration inherited a mess. And it's going to take time to clean it up. And, And I think what he's going to do is he's going to say, hey, look, you know, we've worked on trying to clean up this mess. We still have work to do. So in 2024, let, let me finish the job. And we'll see how that we'll see how that plays. It'd be interesting. Um, so uh, that was that. And then you wake up this morning, you find out now that it's like over 11,000 people have died in Turkey and Syria in those earthquakes. Just, just hideous. Absolutely hideous. And, you know, as I sit out here looking at... Uh, you know, my beautiful uh, property here in Hazel, North Carolina, so far removed from that. It's it's easy to watch this stuff on television. And then, you know, but you just think about it and you're like, and, and, and but just not too far away from me, an hour south here in Georgia, where tornadoes hit um, a month ago. And we have piles of, of debris still, all these houses that were destroyed, just all piled up there, like kindling wood and all their possessions in there. And we still have insurance companies here in the United States that don't haven't even had people on the ground and aren't even putting people in money's hands to start rebuilding their lives. Just imagine what they're facing over in Turkey and Syria, where, where they don't have, in most cases, things like property insurance, et cetera, et cetera. You know, so we think we have it tough here. I, I can't even imagine what those poor people are going through. So just, uh, just hideous. Uh, all right, let's... Uh, Let's move on to happier subjects. Uh, let's get to sports from last night. We'll start off with the UConn game last night. And look, those of you that listen around the country that aren't from Connecticut or aren't from New England and probably say, why are you talking? Look, um, well, we started in New England, number one. 
Um, you know, and I'm a Connecticut native. But here, you know, look, here's the thing. This Connecticut team is still a force in college basketball, both men and women. Uh, you know, multiple national championships. And uh, the UConn men, everybody was touting them as one of the best teams in the country, and then they just went in the tank, lost six out of eight, and everybody's like, oh, my God, they're dead. And I wasn't quite in the they're dead camp yet, but they have some serious issues. And so I had a lot of concern when they went to play number 10 Marquette last night. Now, it was a home game, sort of. It was in Hartford uh, as opposed to being in Gamble Pavilion on campus. Uh, but I had real concerns. This is a team, Marquette team that they played in uh, Milwaukee, and UConn jumped out to an early lead, and Marquette eventually came back to win that game. And it kind of started the spiral for UConn. Well, last night, uh, they beat Marquette 87-72. Marquette ranked 10th in the country, and the game wasn't that close. <laughs> this game was over in the first half. You know, Marquette tried to make a couple of runs. I mean, they'd get it back, you know, uh, to 15, 16 points, and then UConn would just expand it up again. I mean, UConn led by as much as 25 points in this game. I mean, they uh, they absolutely killed them on the boards. Killed them. Um, and uh, just a, a dominant game. Uh, Tristan Newton, the sophomore, with his second triple double of the season, and you well, you know, triple doubles we're used to those, right? You know, you see him in the NBA all the time. You don't see him in college that often, but but put this in perspective: there's only been 13 triple doubles in UConn basketball history. Tristan Newton now has two of them, and he is the first UConn player to ever get two in the same season. Shabazz Napier, who played there, had two, but uh, he did it in different years. I mean, just uh, this kid is just getting better and better and better. Um, another big game, um, out of the big men for UConn last night, they needed that, uh, Adama Sonogo every time, uh, that it looked like that Marquette was going to make a run, uh, they found Sonogo inside for a bucket. Sonogo even showing some great passing ability, made a, a great pass underneath the basket from the free throw line for an easy layup. Uh, just a dominant performance by UConn last night, 20 assists on 32 buckets. You don't need to know any more than that. That's just team basketball. Uh, and when you're doing that, you're winning basketball games because it just shows that the opposing defense isn't doing anything. And the UConn defense was much better last night. Uh, multiple turnovers uh, by Marquette. I mean, just a, a great performance by the UConn men. Look, they still have work to do. They're still, you know, you look at where they are in the Big East, and, and look, overall, they're 19-6, and six, but they're 18-6 and six in the Big East. And right now, they are sitting in sixth place. They're not catching Marquette. Marquette, that was just their third loss in conference last night. They're still 11-3 and three in the Big East. You know, they're not catching them. They're not going to catch Xavier. But they have games coming up against Creighton, Seton Hall, and Providence, who right now are third, fourth, and fifth. So if UConn is going to make some kind of run and put themselves in better position going into the tournament in March, now is the time to get hot. <laughs> right last night after the game, Danny Hurley said, we looked like the non-conference team last night. They looked like that team that went 14-0 and when they were playing um, a bunch of non-conference opponents and beating the crap out of them. This looked like the UConn from the first half. And to do it against a, a good team like Marquette they did last night was impressive. Uh, the UConn women will play tonight, uh, coming off that four-point loss to South Carolina on Sunday. 
uh, a great effort. Um, they will take on Marquette tonight uh, for the second time this season, 7 o'clock game. Um, and then uh, then they'll basically coast to the end of the season. They've just got Big East games left. The only uh, tough game they probably have left is when they play Villanova on February 18th. That game will be in Philly, uh, and that's a Villanova team that took UConn down to the wire. That game was in doubt right up until uh, the fourth quarter um, a week ago in Gamble. So uh, that's probably the only tough one they've got left. So uh, they should cruise the rest of the way. Uh, Pro basketball news, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was on hand last night to watch LeBron James break his all-time scoring record last night. LeBron scored 38 points last night. wasn't enough, by the way. The Lakers lost the game. Um, but Jabbar was there last night, and uh, they did a kind of a, a ceremonial passing of the torch as Kareem passed the basketball uh, to LeBron James and uh, was very gracious. And uh, look, you know, this is a record. I'm not saying it's never going to be beaten, but it's going to be hard because he's going to play for another, a couple of years probably. He'll become the first 40,000-point scorer in NBA history. And, man, there's nobody close to him on the all-time list. You know, we had this discussion yesterday. I still don't think he's the greatest of all time. I still think Michael Jordan uh, gets that. Uh, but be that as it may, he still is a great player um, and a guy who broke into the league at, you know, 18 years old. He was drafted right out of high school. And, you know, one of the things, no matter what you want to say about LeBron James, whether he's the greatest of all time, whatever, look, this is a guy that has played in this league for as long as he has, 20 years now, and there's not really, you know, there's never been a really a scandal. And this is a guy that carries himself well. And he gets a bad rap sometimes saying, well, you know, he's trying to control the team and he's trying to tell the you know general manager and the coach what to uh, – you know, look, when you are as good as LeBron James are, and this is the pros in, in pro basketball, you know, the players have a little bit more input. This isn't, this isn't like high school, right, or like college where you do what the coach tells you to do. You know, when you are a player of LeBron James's stature, not only do you have a say in a lot of things, they they actually the coach sometimes is coming to you or the uh, the general manager is going to come to you and say, hey, what do you think? It happens, folks, way more than you think it does. So, you know, I think people that are, uh, you know, trying to get on LeBron James for that, that's just that's just haters wanting to be haters. But LeBron James has carried himself as a true professional, both on and off the court. He's tried to take his notoriety and uh, his his uh, pull on social media and leverage that. He's helped out a lot of young people uh, in uh, in his home state in Ohio, in the Cleveland area. Uh, you know, he has he has been a model NBA citizen, and uh, if if more NBA guys were like that. Um, you know, I, I think the, the league as a whole would benefit. So, uh, so congratulations. And, and again, you know, look, he, you know, you know, the other thing he's one of, he's the only guy in NBA history to have at least 10,000 points, 10,000 rebounds and 10,000 assists. Think about that. Nobody else has ever done that. You know, and I was kind of surprised, um, about that, to be honest with you. I thought Magic had done that, but uh, he had not. There's 44 players that have reached 
uh, five digits in two of those categories, but LeBron's the only one that has reached five di- digits in three of them. So, uh, you know, pretty impressive. And he's probably going to end up as the all-time assist leader as well. Uh, the only people ahead of him on that are uh, John Stockton, Jason Kidd, and Chris Paul. Yeah, so it's uh, it's pretty impressive what he's done. So uh, good for him. And uh, and you know what was what was great last night? And um, again, one of the reasons why you have to admire you know the way he is. He said, "Look, you know, because they stopped the game and he gave a little speech." Um, and he said, "To be able to be in the presence of such a legend as as." great as Kareem is very humbling. And then he said, please give a standing ovation to the captain. You know, encouraging the Laker fans, most of them who probably never saw Kareem Abdul-Jabbar play, to stand up and recognize what this man had done in his career and for the game of basketball, I thought was a very classy thing for LeBron to do. So uh, uh, that was nice. I mean, it's, you know, say what you want, you know, and uh, again, I'm not the big NBA fan that I used to be uh, back when back when I had hair. Uh, but, uh, you know, you have to admire what this guy has done. The guy you don't have to admire is Kyrie Irving. You know, as I was talking about what a what a humble man and and, uh, you know, how he has leveraged his fame to, to help other people. Uh, then there's Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving, uh, who comes out yesterday and says he feels like he was disrespected in Brooklyn. He said, I just want to be in a place where I'm celebrated, not just tolerated. <laughs> Dude, tolerated? You were lucky you didn't get run out of town on a rail when you start with the anti-Semitic things and you know saying stupid things and taking time off and refusing to get vaccinated so that you know you can't play in your home games and you know he's trying to make it off like he was some kind of team player he said I left him in fourth place I did what I was supposed to do I took care of my teammates really he said I was incredibly incredibly selfless you want to know the definition of somebody who is not selfless somebody who tells you they're selfless (laughs) I mean come on you know, he said, uh, he said, uh, he said, in my approach to leading, I just want to do all the right things for myself, not to appease anybody. Dude, that's not the definition of leadership. That's the definition of being an egotist and being self-centered. That's not leadership. So he said, there were times throughout the process when I was in Brooklyn that I felt like I was disrespected. Oh, my God. You know, the Nets did everything for this guy. They bent over backwards for this guy. Spent a ton of money to put a bunch of players around him. And they had exactly one playoff series win while he was in Brooklyn. This is a malcontent. This is a guy that was he was, he was happy to be in Boston. He was going to be a Celtic for life. And then he burned that bridge in a hurry. And now he has just nuked Brooklyn. I mean, this guy is living in a fantasy world. So to have a, a, a guy on the same day that, that you know, LeBron James is, is, is acting humble in what he did and, and uh, was very emotional, was actually tearing up when he was talking to the crowd, you know, to have that on the same day when Kyrie Irving is telling everybody how selfless he is and, 
you know, despite being selfless, how he was disrespected in Brooklyn. Oh, my God in heaven. And then somebody in the, the local media in, in Dallas, you know, they're like, uh, oh, this is great. Uh, they had practice today, and, and Kyrie Irving was the first one there. You know, let's understand something. Here's, what, here's what's going to happen with Kyrie Irving. He is going to be there, and he is going to act like a model citizen for the rest of this season. And if they extend him, you know, maybe he'll start next season and behave himself. But not too long into this, we know what's going to happen. The same thing that happened everywhere else he has played. He is going to start alienating everybody, saying stupid things, taking time off for no particular reason. I mean, he, he just took time away, did leave of absences from the team a couple of times in Brooklyn for no particular reason, just because he needed time off. So we know how this is going to end, and it's not going to be good. You know, and uh, I mean, I guess if you're, you're, you're Dallas, it was worth the risk because you're kind of a middle-of-the-pack team right now. You're hoping maybe he can push you over the edge if he is a model citizen and, and maybe he can get you, you know, to the Western Conference Finals. You know, so it's worth the risk because really when you look at it, they gave up a couple of fringe players, Dallas did, and a number one draft pick in 2029, right? It wasn't like they were giving up a ton to get them. You know, Spencer Dinwiddie, and I can't remember the other guy that went over to, to Brooklyn. These are guys that are easily replaced. And a 2029 draft pick, eh, we'll worry about that later. We can, we can acquire another one. Right, that's six years from now. So it was worth the risk from them, but this is not going to end well. There's no doubt in my mind. 28 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 30 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call on a Wednesday morning, February the 8th, uh, Super Bowl, just a few days away. I, and maybe it's because I'm not a, you know, I don't root for either the Chiefs or the Eagles. I, I, I don't, and some of it's the bye week. It's one of the reasons why I've always said I hated the bye week. I, I'm not too jazzed about this Super Bowl. And I'm sure on Sunday I'll feel differently about it. But it's like, I just, uh, I don't know. I don't find myself anticipating the game the way I thought I would, you know, the way I have in the past when the Patriots were in it or, you know, where I had a, a rooting interest, you know. Um, so I don't uh, – I, I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping it's – I guess I'm going into it hoping it's a good game, and I'm hoping that the wings and, and fries that I'm going to cook while I'm watching the game turn out good. That's really all that matters to me, uh, I guess, at this point. Uh, but NFL News, Derek Carr, the uh, starting quarterback for the – Las Vegas Raiders, or at least he was for most of the season, has been at, has asked to be traded. Um, he still has two years and forty million dollars left on his contract with the Raiders. Uh, and if the Raiders don't trade him, they're going to have to make a decision uh, here in the next couple of weeks as to whether they're going to retain him or not, and what kind of a cap hit they're going to take, depending on how they handle this. Uh, but they are looking to trade him, and he is going to visit the New Orleans Saints today. And there are rumors, and I don't know if this is – I mean, we know no way to know him because it's, you know, sources have said that supposedly the Raiders and the Saints have already worked out what the compensation will be if the Saints take Carr away 
from the Raiders. Now, look, don't forget, the Saints have a little extra a draft capital that they could use, I suppose, to acquire a quarterback um, because uh, they got uh, some draft picks in exchange for Sean Payton, who was their former coach, who is now going to be coaching the Broncos. So uh, they got something from them. So I suppose it's possible that that uh, pick they got for Sean Payton could end up going to the Raiders in this. We'll see. Um, but if they agree to a deal, they have until February 15th to work out the details because that's when Carr's contract becomes guaranteed. Um, and if the Raiders decide to release him, he becomes a free agent, and then any team uh, you know, could try to lure him then. Look, uh, Carr is going to be 32 years old in March. We saw this year how bad the quarterback play was around the NFL. I mean, it was horrendous. I mean, we had so many teams this year with a quarterback carousel. Look what happened uh, in Carolina. Look what happened with the Jets. Look what happened with the Dolphins. You know, and with the with the uh, the Indianapolis Colts and the Denver Broncos. It goes on and on and on. So. There are issues at quarterback around the league. Derek Carr will be a very hot commodity if he becomes a free agent, which is why I'm sure that the Raiders would like to move him and get something in return. Uh, look, you know, whether Carr was the problem in, in, in Las Vegas or Oakland slash Las Vegas, you know, who knows? They never won a playoff game while he was there. I uh, got benched with a couple of games remaining this year. But this is a guy who holds Raiders records for yards passing and touchdown passes. Uh, but the Saints badly need a quarterback. They had Andy Dalton this year. Jameis Winston was their starter at the beginning of the season. He got hurt in week one, tried to play weeks two and three, was terrible. Uh, supposedly after he got healthy, he wanted to come back and play, and the, and the Saints said, no, thanks. And they stuck stuck with Andy Dalton. And look, and Andy Dalton wasn't terrible. I mean, Dalton completed 67% of his passes, threw for almost 3,000 yards, 18 touchdowns. He did throw nine interceptions, but still, you know, for a guy that, that's been a basically now a career backup, um, it wasn't horrible. But they need an upgraded quarterback. I still think the Saints are going to take a quarterback early in this draft because they don't have a quarterback in the pipeline. But if they can get Derek Carr... And then that means maybe they draft a quarterback a little bit farther down rather than using your first or second round pick for a quarterback. Maybe they take a flyer on a guy later, knowing that you've got Carr under contract for at least two years and it'd be a chance for this young quarterback to learn something and not have to throw him to the Wolves. So uh, anyway, the meeting is going to happen today, so uh, we'll see um, how that turns out. Other NFL news, this came out uh, on Monday. We didn't get a chance to talk about it yesterday, but... Tom Brady has said that he is not going to move into the Fox booth until 2024. Uh, he's basically going to take – people are calling it a gap year. That's kind of like, you know, the, the guy that graduates high school and takes a year off before he goes to college. Uh, you know, um, I, I mean, I don't know. I guess that's fine. I mean, whatever. You know, I mean, and it, but it does take the pressure off of Fox of having to try to figure out how to work Brady – uh, into uh, the Super Bowl coverage for this year. Um, but he's got that 10-year deal with Fox to become their top analyst. 
when he stops playing. Uh, I'll say this. Greg Olson did a great job as the new number one guy for Fox when Troy Aikman left with uh, uh, Joe Buck to go over to ESPN. I thought Burkhart and Greg Olson were pretty good. You know, they were pretty good together. And uh, I'm sure if you're Greg Olson, you're probably a little bit pissed off that your number one job is, is going to be taken away. And at the end of the day, I mean, Greg Olson's still going to be working. But if you're the number one analyst, you're making more money. And so I'm sure that Greg Olson liked that idea. But uh, uh, Tom Brady's going to be making $37 million a year. So he's going to be the number one guy. But uh, he's going to take a year off, which is, you know, again, whatever. I mean, I'm, now that he's announced that he's finally retiring for good, I just kind of want him to go away. You know what I mean? I mean, I know it's terrible, but, you know, he's posting There was a, he's posting Instagram photos sitting on his couch in his underwear. What the hell is that all about? I mean, come on. What are you doing? I mean, is that, is that like something you're doing like for you're going to put that on a dating app or something? I mean, what what the hell was that? Uh, what, the, what do they call those photos? I, I saw they call it thirst trap photos. I'm not even quite sure what that means. It probably shows exactly how old I am. I think that's the uh, the 2023 way of saying a a provocative or sexy photo. I mean, it's not doing anything for me, but I'm sure there are plenty of women that were, you know, like seeing Tom Brady in his underwear, but, you know, whatever. You know, all the old women that, were, that are watching 80 for Brady are probably very excited by that photo, but but what's he doing? So, you know, just, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like him to just kind of ride off into the sunset and just be quiet until he gets in the booth. Uh, he is doing a podcast uh, through SiriusXM. Jim Gray is the co-host. Uh, and it was interesting, the first one of their new season of that, they had Bill Belichick on. And I thought it was pretty cool, Jim uh, Jim Gray talking to both Belichick and Tom Brady, and it was a mutual admiration society. And I, it was interesting to hear Tom Brady said, look, everybody keeps talking about how Bill and I didn't have a good relationship at the end and how it had soured. And he said, I don't know what they're talking about because it was never that way. He said, we were always kind of on the same page just trying to make ourselves and our teams better. Uh, so he kind of threw a lot of cold water on that. And Belichick, for his part, um, was, uh, I mean, gracious doesn't even begin to uh, to say it, I don't think. Uh, he said that uh, he had the honor and the privilege of coaching Tom Brady. I, you know, I mean, uh, uh, pff, wow. You know, I mean, uh, you don't expect to hear that out of Belichick's voice, uh, you know, either. So I thought that was very, very interesting. But outside of that, I just want Brady to go away. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you, you had your, you had your moment in the sun, your retirement. Now go away, and you know, we'll see. In, we'll see you in 2024. I know it doesn't work that way, but man, it'd be nice. It really would. Um, before we take another break, the last segment that we're going to talk about. Uh, uh, an article Jim Bowden had yesterday about uh, possible realignment of Major League Baseball when expansion happens, which is going to happen in the next couple of years, folks. Just wrap your head around that. It's going to happen. Um, and uh, he had some pretty good ideas. So we're going to talk about that in the last segment. Before we get to that, uh, news came out yesterday that Marty Walsh, who is the former mayor of Boston and is now the U.S. Labor Secretary under uh, Joe Biden in Joe Biden's administration, is going to be leaving his post in the government to become the uh, new head of the NHL Players Association, which is interesting. He's going to take over for Donald Fear, uh, who has been doing that job for more than a decade. Uh, look, 
uh, Walsh is a big hockey fan. Specifically, he's a big Boston Bruins fan. When he was uh, when he was the mayor of Boston, I mean, he was one of those guys that uh, uh, often posted videos and showed how much he actually knows about not just the Bruins, but about the NHL in, in, as a whole. So this is interesting. So you're going to have a guy who is not only uh, uh, a guy who's good working with labor unions, but also a guy that's a fan of the sport, which I think is really cool. Uh, you know, and Walsh is a guy, look, he's a guy that, that uh, came up working in a union. He was part of the uh, a laborers union when he was only 21 years old, eventually became its president, which got him into the Mass House of Representatives, and then eventually into being mayor of Boston. Um, and he was also the former head of the Boston Building Trades Union. This is a guy that knows unions. He's a guy that, you know, was working with the Biden administration and to avert a railroad strike here in the United States. Thought they'd hammered out a deal, you know, and people were balking at it. So the Congress got involved and basically imposed the deal and said, uh, yeah, because you can't have if the railroad go, railroads go on strike. Uh, goods don't move across this country, and you know the economy goes to hell in a handbasket. So, uh, but Walsh has a great history of working with unions. So this is a great pick. I love this. I love having somebody in there that actually cares about the sport. It would be it'd be like having a commissioner of Major League Baseball that actually likes baseball, as opposed to the clown show we have right now in Major League Baseball with Rob Manfred. He's just. Ah, bah. So I, I like this. I like this a lot for uh, uh, for the NHL. Look, and the NHL, while it is probably fourth on the tier of professional sports in this country, behind, uh, you know, look, are, without doubt, and the NFL is number one. The NBA right now probably has to be considered number two. Uh, Major League Baseball number three, then hockey, then soccer. And you might even argue that soccer is ahead of hockey. I don't think so, but look. Uh, the NHL is not hurting. Their league is projecting $6 billion in revenue this year. So the NHL is not hurting. And salaries have continued to go up. And uh, so I think this is a great move to have Marty Walsh in there. I, I, I really, I, I'm really happy about that. Uh, NHL last night, the uh, San Jose Sharks uh, with an upset win last night. They snapped Tampa Bay's 12-game winning streak at home, which was a franchise record. Uh, they beat the Lightning 4-3. to uh, They overcame a 3-1 deficit in this game. Uh, Lightning, uh, it was their first game that they lost all season when they led after the first period. They were 20-0 and when they led at the end of the first period. Think about that. That's unbelievable. Uh, and they were uh, 25 and uh, 20 wins five losses and uh, one overtime loss at home this season. So they've been dominant at home. Uh, but San Jose comes in last night, and Timo Meyer scored his second goal of the game uh, two minutes into the overtime, uh, and the uh, San Jose Sharks pull off the upset. The Islanders last night, uh, Bo Horvat, who was traded recently from Vancouver over to the Islanders, scored in his home debut with the Islanders, and uh, they whacked the Kraken last night. Uh, for nothing, and uh, the Nashville Predators, my local team down here uh, in North Carolina, the Predators over in Nashville, just a few hours away, they got whacked by the uh, Las Vegas Golden Knights last night. Finally, that one was a five to one, and uh, the Penguins, with an overtime win over the Colorado Avalanche last night in Pittsburgh, 
Uh, Chris Letang scored 336 into the overtime, and uh, they end up beating Colorado. Colorado had the lead in this game with about three minutes to go, one nothing, and they end up losing it in overtime. 44 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to finish up uh, this version of the show uh, talking about Major League Baseball, my favorite topic. Back in a minute, you're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 46 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call uh, here on a Wednesday morning. Um, so uh, there was an article in The Athletic yesterday. Um, Jim Bowden, former general manager in uh, Major League Baseball with a couple of teams, uh, published an article yesterday talking about what should happen in terms of uh, possible realignment in Major League Baseball when the league decides to expand. And as I said, it's coming. Uh, they would like to add two teams uh, to give them an even number of 32. Um, and Rob Manfred has said that he wanted to expand. They were waiting for the Tampa Bay Rays and the Oakland Athletics stadium issues to be resolved first, and we are getting close to that. Uh, it looks like uh, Tampa has a plan in place. I mean, there's still obviously some political wrangling and some voting to take place, but it looks like Tampa finally has a viable uh, plan there, and it is looking more and more likely that the athletics are headed out of Oakland and will be headed for Las Vegas. Uh, they've had a meeting this week uh, with the powers that be down in Vegas about building a stadium there, so we shall see. Uh, and the A's may be headed for their third home. Of course, the A's started out in Philadelphia, moved to Oakland, and uh, now it may be uh, that they are going to be headed uh, to Vegas. They'll become like the third team. I think the only other team that's moved three times in their history, I could be wrong, but I think the Braves started out in Boston. They were the uh, Boston Braves. Then they moved to the Milwaukee Braves, and uh, and then they became the Atlanta Braves. So I think that might be the only team that's moved three times, but I'm sure somebody, if, if, if I'm wrong, please correct me. Uh, anyway, I'm a traditionalist. I don't like change. Um especially in the sports that I love. You know, I mean, there's some changes that have happened recently that, that I've gotten on board with. Um, I, was not, I was not happy about the whole universal DH thing and some of the other, but I've gotten on board, you know. Um, and, and, you know, a former college classmate and friend of, our, of, of the show, uh, Dave Massey, had a thing this morning on his Facebook page uh, that was written by a guy named Jeff Fry and talking about how, you know, people want to say that baseball's changed and the old ways don't work anymore. And he basically said, hey, you're wrong. And then he went on this litany of, of all the things about how, you know, they're trying to change. They're trying to reinvent the wheel. Yet at the end of the day, the old ways still work if they would just let them work instead of everybody trying to prove they're smarter than the next guy. That's what all this is about, by the way. You know, this is all about, hey, mine's bigger than yours. You know, it's two guys taking them out and saying, hey, who's this bigger? I'm telling you that's what this is, right? It's just guys thinking they're smarter than the, the guy that came before because every generation thinks they're smarter and they know more than the previous generation, except as I've found out, as I've gotten older, I found out that my parents were smarter than I thought they were, right? A lot of the stuff that my parents used to say to me when I was young, and I used to say, get the hell out of here. And then you, then you get older and you look at things and you go, you know, you know, maybe they were right. You know, my daughters have said, it. you know, my daughters are 28 and 35. And my daughters, even at that age, have, have turned to me and said, you know what? 
I should have listened to you when you told me this 10 years ago. Hey! So having said that, my first reaction when I read this article and I read the headline and I started to read the article was like, I'm going to hate this. And I want to, and I want to hate this. I really do, but I can't because what Jim Bowden says in this article makes sense. Um, basically he is saying, get rid of the American league and the national league. It no longer matters with the interleague play that we have now and the balanced schedule so that you're playing everybody else in the other league. The two leagues don't matter anymore with the universal DH. There's no difference between the American league and the national league. So why, why are we worried about it? You know, why do we, why do we need to hang on to that? Instead, why don't we do what the NBA has done? And what the NHL has done, the NHL hasn't done it quite as much as the NBA has done, but why don't we split it up into an Eastern Conference and a Western Conference? And you have eight divisions of four teams because when they expand, Major League Baseball will go from 30 to 32. So it makes it very easy. You could have eight conferences, four teams in each conference, and you do it geographically. So not only do you have some incredible rivalries, you are going to save these teams a boatload of money. And because you have these local rivalries, you are going to get more fan interest, which is going to get more butts in the seats. For instance, and my my first blush was like, oh, my God, look at this division. But in the Eastern Conference, he's suggesting in the Eastern Division of the Eastern Conference, the Red Sox. The Yankees, the Mets, and the Philadelphia Phillies. You know, and and again, my first reaction was, ah, but think about it. The Red Sox and the Yankees, one of the is probably the greatest rivalry in Major League Baseball. The Dodger Giant fans would disagree, but be that as it may. You still you, so you have them in the same division, along with the Yankees and the Mets. Two New York teams beating it out, you know, the old Subway Series. And, you know, this is a this would be huge. And then you have the Phillies. The Phillies aren't – I mean, I don't want to say they're left out, but the Phillies – think about this. And like, like Jim Bowden said in the article, you would have that rivalry, the Yankees-Mets and the Yankees-Red Sox, and it's four – you know, two of the biggest markets in the sport, Boston and New York – and all four of them in the same division without a single small market team. So nobody can say, oh, we can't compete in this division because of payroll disparity. Because all these teams spend money. Makes sense. Um, now, I, I mentioned the Giants and the Dodgers. Here's where, you know, Dodger fans and Giants fans might be pissed. He talks about a Western Conference in the Western Division having the Dodgers and the Angels in the same division. Makes sense, right? Makes sense. Uh, then you have the Padres in there and the Arizona Diamondbacks. Makes perfect sense. The team that gets screwed out of this is the Giants. The Giants end up going into what he called the Pacific Coast Division. It would be either the Oakland slash Las Vegas A's, whoever that turns out to be, the Seattle Mariners, the San Francisco Giants, and the Colorado Rockies. Geographically, travel-wise, it makes sense. Uh, it really does. 
Um, you know, now he is assuming that Charlotte and Nashville are going to become the expansion teams. I don't know whether that will be the case or not. That could throw everything in the – I think Nashville is going to get one of the two teams. I really do. And so he, in that Southeast division, he has Nashville, Tampa, Miami, Atlanta. Great regional rivalries. You have the two, you know, Florida teams in there. I mean, you know, you, you would hope that that might build some excitement. It's hard to build excitement in Florida. They can't fill Tampa or, or Miami, no matter how good they are. So, you know, I, but be that as it may, you know, and the Braves are right there. And that Nashville team, I'm telling you, if they put baseball in Nashville, they will sell that place out all the time. I mean, look at Predators games. Look at Titans games. They would do very, very well. Um, you know, and it, it, there's a couple of divisions you kind of go, meh. You know, the Mid-Atlantic division is not too sexy. It'd be like the Washington Nationals, the Pirates, the Orioles, and then if Charlotte's the expansion team, Charlotte would be in there. Um, but, you know, you, you could have a division with the Astros and the Rangers in it. The Royals and the Cardinals would be in that same division with the Astros and the Rangers. It makes sense. And, you know, you wouldn't have as, as many uh, long flights. You're still going to play all these other divisions, just like the NHL and the NBA do. But geographically and with the, these rivalries in place, travel costs are going to be cut down. Travel times are going to be cut down. It will take out some of the wear and tear for these teams. It makes perfect sense. I can't believe I'm saying that because, I, like I said, I wanted to hate it. Um, I don't know, you know, whether this is going to happen in two years or three years. I, I hope I hope they expand to Nashville. I really do. Uh, I'm still going to be a Red Sox fan, but, to, you know, and I've got the Braves a couple hours away, and the Braves is a beautiful ballpark, but getting into Atlanta is a pain in the ass. Uh, Nashville is an absolutely beautiful city. I love Nashville. My I, I hadn't spent any time there until we moved down here. My wife and I have been there twice. We fell in love with it. Can't afford to live there. <laughs> Because it's a trendy place right now, and, and uh, real estate prices, et cetera, are through the roof. Uh, but it is a beautiful place, and the uh, the entertainment community gets behind their teams there with the uh, with the Predators and the uh, uh, the Titans. It would be a great draw. It would be a great draw, you know. And Charlotte's three hours from here, and that's in my same state of North Carolina. Um, the other teams that are the main ones that are up for expansion, by the way, would be Portland, Oregon. Uh, uh, and uh, and Vancouver was another team that's been talked, uh, another city that's been talked about. So we'll see. But I, I I wanted to hate it. I don't. I, you know, we'll probably talk more about this as uh, as time goes on. But I think that Jim Bowden's uh, uh, plan is a good one. Uh, it's in the Athletic if you want to read the whole thing. Uh, it's a subscription thing. If you if if you, but if you have a subscription to it, I I I do it because I think the writing is great. I think the writing is really good and it's balanced, and uh, they have beat writers to cover all the individual leagues and teams. So uh, uh, there's some really good writing there. So if you haven't subscribed to the Athletic, I'm, you know, and I'm not getting a cutback, uh, you know, kickback on this, but I just think it's a really, really good site if you're a, a sports fan. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We'll leave you this morning. A little music, Jimmy Buffett. It, you can never go long, wrong with Jimmy Buffett. Here's a little down at the la di da. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.